Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're studying the book of Romans and learning how the power of the gospel impacts every part of our lives. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to today's episode of Everyday Truth as we embark upon yet another chapter in our study of the book of Romans, uh, exploring the, the power of the gospel. And I can't think of a better way to describe the book of Romans than to say it is the powerful gospel that changes us, not just at the moment, at the inception of our salvation, but all throughout our lives, that principle of the gospel, the fact that God can do for me what I could never do for myself Boy, that's good news. And in chapters one and two, at at least the latter part of chapter one and all of chapter two, we've really been exploring some bad news uh, because the good news does not have context unless we understand the bad news. And of course, the bad news is that we are sinners under the condemnation of God. We are ungodly. We are unrighteous. And uh, next to the righteous character of God and as revealed not only in our conscience, knowing right from wrong, but also more explicitly in the word of God, in the law of God, uh, we are without excuse, as we shall continue to discover in chapter 3. And chapter 3 of the book of Romans is just such a masterful chapter on helping us to understand why we need the gospel and what our condition is, and the depth of the redemption and the salvation that we have in Jesus, it is worthy of your supreme meditation and study. It's just a great chapter. Sometimes in these daily Bible studies, I feel as if we're just scratching the very surface of what we could be talking about. And each one of these verses could be a separate Bible study in and of itself. So I get that. But to to stay kind of in tune with the pace that we're keeping, uh, let's just jump into verse number one and see how uh, this connects to everything we've learned already. So we know that God has generally revealed himself in creation and in conscience. We know that some Jewish people here at the end of chapter two were thinking that they were in some way better than the Gentiles and did not need uh, the salvation, perhaps, that the Gentiles needed. Because after all, we Jews, we're better. We know the law. We have the oracles of God. We have special status. And what the Apostle Paul demonstrates is, no, uh, we are all under the condemnation of God, because essentially we are all sinners. Now, we're going to see that in a much more poignant way in this chapter. But just because you claim to identify as a Jew doesn't mean that you actually are one in essence, because in essence, circumcision and Judaism is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. So that's the way that chapter two ended. Now, notice chapter three and verse one, where the apostle Paul says, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? So if the point that's being made here is that the Gentiles are under the condemnation of God and their conscience accuses them of that, 
And the Jews are under the condemnation of God, and the law of God specifically, along with conscience, accuses them of that, then what good is it to be a Jew? I mean, I thought we talked about the Jews being God's people and uh, having special privileges, but now it seems as if the Apostle Paul is shooting all of that uh uh, shooting all of that down. So is there any advantage to Judaism and to uh, circumcision? And the answer is yes, emphatically yes. So what is that advantage? Well, look at verse number two, much every way. That's the answer to his own question. Often in teaching, the apostle Paul would ask the question and then give the answer. I think that's effective, by the way, if you are a communicator, it's effective to anticipate the the questions that an audience member might have, and then to go ahead and answer those questions. So that's what Paul's doing here. So then what good is being a Jew? What advantage is there? Paul said, oh, there's great advantages. Verse number two, much every way, chiefly, so here's the main advantage, chiefly because, because that unto them, unto the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. So God gave them very special favor in allowing them to be curators of the word of God itself. So we see that in the giving of the Mosaic covenant in at Sinai. The fact that God revealed to the Jews so much about his character, about who he is as reflected in his law, to, that they would have this accurate picture of God and his righteousness. Now, we know that they didn't behave properly in light of that. We know that they were given that great advantage and they squandered it in many ways, but that does not mean that it wasn't an advantage, that they had a great opportunity to know God, to know more about God, to invest faith in that God, to have the conditional promises that went along with uh, the, the, the law. What a wonderful benefit that was. Now, obviously, they didn't respond properly. And the, well, look at verse number three. I'm getting ahead of myself. For what if some did not believe? So there it is. The advantage was, wow, what a great and precious commodity to have the law of God, to have all this information about God and his righteousness. Now, did they respond properly to that? Did they, were they faithful? That's really what the idea of faith is here in verse number three. Were they faithful to that law? Were they, did they respond properly? And categorically, that answer is no. That's not to say that there weren't good examples of faith in the Old Testament. There were, and we read all about them in Hebrews chapter 11, but by and large, the nation did not, was not faithful. Uh, God's children who were given the law, did not respond in faith. That's the point of verse number three. So for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God? In other words, God's faithfulness. That's what that means. So, so because they didn't believe the word of God and they did not practice the word of God, they did not respond properly to both the purpose of uh, the, the law and its power in their lives? Does that mean that somehow God is culpable? That somehow God was not faithful or that God did them wrong by giving them the law? Of course not. No, the problem was not with God and his faithfulness. The problem was with the people of God and their unfaithfulness. And so their unfaithfulness does not make the faithfulness of God without effect, ineffective. Look at verse number four. 
So does this unbelief, does their unfaithfulness negate the faithfulness of God or make it in some some way superfluous? Of course not. That That's the answer in verse number four. Of course not. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. So no, it just further enhances the righteousness of God. The fact that God's people didn't respond properly to the law. Remember, the law was never given as a means of salvation. You know, the covenant that God made with Abraham was a covenant based upon faith. And we're going to see that next chapter in a much more clear way, that God counted the faith of Abraham for righteousness. And the children of Abraham ought to be the children of faith, investing faith in the God of that covenant. But the people of God weren't responding properly to the Abrahamic covenant. So God, because they didn't see themselves as needing God and needing uh, the righteousness that God, only God could give. So what happened was God gave the law 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant. We read about that in Galatians 3. And the reason why God gave the, gave the law was so that people would see how sinful they were. They would see their lives next to the mirror of God's righteousness revealed in the law and, and realize, wow, I need mercy. I need God. I need, I need to exercise my faith in him. So the law was kind of that schoolmaster. Remember Galatians uh, chapter three, to bring us to uh, a need for uh, what ultimately we find in Christ. Uh, the arrow of the Old Testament pointed to a coming Christ. Of course, we as New Testament believers look back to the, a Christ that came. But the point was the law demonstrated need. So the question in verse number four, uh, or, or rather the point is, so let God be true. God was faithful to his promises. Uh, God's word was as true as it ever was. But what it did is reveal that every man was a liar. And so just because the law makes man look bad doesn't mean that it makes God look bad. In fact, the law in making man look bad, which inevitably it does, actually makes God look good because it demonstrates that great divide, God's impeccable righteousness and man's consistent unrighteousness. Look at verse number four again. So let God be true but every man a liar, and then as it's written. And here's a quotation from Psalm 51 and verse four, the great penitential Psalm of David after he had sinned with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. Look at verse number four, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So the fault in the situation with David was not God's, No, David knew the law of God. David knew that adultery and murder were wrong. And so when David repented and penned the words of that repentance in Psalm 51, he said, Lord, this wasn't your fault, but this was my fault. And you are justified in your word and justified in your law. So my sinfulness in no way impugns the righteousness of God. Now, based upon all of that, a person might think, well, all right, so if the law of God demonstrates the sinfulness of man in a much more obvious way, then 
then really man's sin is almost a good thing because man's sin makes God's righteousness that much more evident. So actually, sin in that sense is a good thing because it makes God look better. Now, obviously, that's really twisted logic, but Paul deals with that logic because that was something people were saying. People even say similar things today. They'll say things like, well, if I believed like you believe that once you're saved, you're always saved, then that would essentially just be, I could just do whatever I want to do. I could just sin all I want to and I'd still be saved. It's the same kind of argument. Okay, look at verse number five. But if our unrighteousness, so here's where Paul introduces this argument we just talked about. But if our unrighteousness commend makes, makes look good, the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? Paul says, I speak as a man. This is just a human foolish argument, but he's making it because some people were thinking that. Watch this. God forbid. For how then shall God judge the world? So you hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, so, well, if our unrighteousness, if the law shows how unrighteous we are and that, that, picture of man's unrighteousness makes God look that much better, then is God really justified in judging us? Because after all, our sin is making him look good. And Paul says, what a ridiculous argument. Because if if that argument were true, then how can God judge anybody for anything? How is God going to judge the world? Uh, That's the, that, that would be a ridiculous argument. Look, Look at verse number seven. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also just as a sinner? So that's a kind of uh, an expansion of the question in verse number five. So this would be a foolish question. Well, I mean, if God's truth looks better because of my lies, then why should I be culpable? I mean, after all, is not my sinfulness, are not my lies making God look better? Again, a foolish argument, but some were arguing that. In fact, some were slandering Paul's teaching, his gospel ministry, saying those exact things. Look at verse number eight, and not rather, the argument continues. Paul says, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil, that good may come. I mean, some were saying, well, if that all be true and there's nothing we can do to work our own righteousness and if all the law does is demonstrate our unrighteousness and and if in that process it just makes God look better and better and better, then we shouldn't be judged for our sins. And in fact, we should just sin more. Let's just do evil because it makes God look better. Now, obviously, that's a ridiculous argument. And yet that was an accusation that was being made about the apostles, Paul's ministry. And Paul said about all of that at the end of verse number eight, whose damnation, or we would say today, their condemnation, the the judgment of those people whose damnation is just. No, that's not a valid argument. In fact, people that would say that to justify the continuation of their own sin are not going to avoid condemnation. No, rather, the condemnation that they will inevitably receive is just. Uh, they, They deserve it. Look at 
Well, we're out of time. I just glanced at the clock and we are a minute over time. So sorry about that. We'll stop there in verse number eight and we'll jump back into verse number nine next time. Hope you'll join us. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, take a moment to subscribe or share the podcast with a friend. Until next time, God bless.